Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. All right, if you've got a Bible, go to uh, Luke chapter 4. We're going to spend all of our time in Luke chapter 4 today. And let me tell you that this is the only perfect thing on the earth. This is the highest authority on the earth. This is the Word of God. And we're going to open it today because I want you to receive a word from God. The key to receiving a word from God is to open the Word of God. And as you open the Word of God, there are two things I want to make note of. Number one, this book gives you a supernatural worldview. This book assumes that in addition to the seen realm, there is an unseen realm. That in addition to the physical, there is the spiritual. That behind the world that we see is another world that God sees. And that those two worlds impact and impinge on one another. You cannot think biblically unless you think supernaturally and spiritually. Number two, in addition, as you open this book, it not only gives you a supernatural worldview, it tells you about spiritual spiritual warfare, that there really is a battle raging. And I don't know if you've seen this, but on this earth, there is a war. People are suffering. People are addicted. People are conflicted. People are bleeding. People are weeping. People are dying. This world is in a death cycle. This world is under a curse. This world has no hope, it has no help, and it has no helper because it has not turned itself to the God of the Bible. And as we open the Bible, we learn that all of our problems are ultimately the result of a great, grand, glorious conflict between God and Satan. And it means that the struggles and the the temptations and the troubles and the trials that you and I have, they're all part of a much bigger battle. And so the story of the Bible begins, and I'll summarize it to prepare you for Luke chapter four, that there is one God. There's one God. I know you've heard otherwise, that's a lie. Today, we're not going to church, we're going to war. And and we're not going to submit or surrender to any false teaching, thinking, or ideology. There is one God, and he is the maker of all things. He rules over all things. There is none like him. There is none alongside of him. There is none that has the authority that he has, and there is none that is due the glory he has deserved. And this God, Father, Son, and Spirit, made everyone and everything and was good and glorious. That includes not only physical people, but spiritual beings called angels and ultimately demons. And what happened, there was a battle, there was a war, there was a coup attempt in the kingdom of God. And there was this lead angel named Satan, the devil, the deceiver, who we now rebuke in the name of the Lord. And we invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to deliver people from his tactics and his tricks, from his oppression and from his opposition. And that ultimately he declared war on God. And tragically, the tale of the Bible is that a third of the heavenly host, a third of the angelic beings made to minister and be messengers on behalf of God, they rebelled against God. They sought to be God rather than to serve God. They sought to live independent of God rather than dependent upon God. You need to know that that ultimately rebellion against authority is demonic. It is as the sin of witchcraft. It started in the heavens before it ever visited the earth. And there was a great battle in heaven between God and the angels and between Satan and the fallen angels, the demons. God won his war. And the Bible says that a third of the heavenly host, a third of those demonic principalities, powers, and spirits, those unclean angels, those rebellious forces were cast down to the earth. 
So the battle went from the presence of God to the place of a paradise on the earth. There we find in Genesis, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they stand in our place. They represent all of humanity. And Satan comes to tempt them and to test them and to try them. Well, we know the story that ultimately God won his war. We lost our war. We sinned. We surrendered. We submitted to the enemy rather than to God. How many of you are married? Raise your hand. Question, did Satan show up before or after the wedding? After. The storyline of the Bible is this. Wedding, war. You single people, you're thinking, I can't wait till I get married. Then all my problems will go away. My temptations will be lessened. Satan doesn't even show up until you've opened the gifts and sent out the thank you cards. That's when he shows up. How many of you thought you would get married and it would fix your problems and you realize Satan visited your house? And, I, and some of you are like, you're right, I married Satan. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> that Satan doesn't even show up till our first parents are married because God is a relational God and God wants us to have a relationship with him and a relationship with one another. And Satan comes to not only break the relationship with God, but to break the relationship with others. As a result of sin, folly, rebellion, joining in the coup attempt against God, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they were kicked out of paradise and they were left in a wilderness. But God did give a promise in Genesis 3.15 that ultimately Jesus would come and that the battle that he won in heaven, he would then come and win that battle on the earth, the battle that our first parents, Adam and Eve, lost. So for more than a thousand years, God's people are wondering and waiting, where, where's this dragon slayer? Where's this deliverer? Where's this liberator? Where's this warrior? Where's our king? And then Jesus shows up. That's where we pick up the story in Luke chapter four. And we pick it up where he is in a wilderness. Jesus picks up where Adam left off. In Adam, there is death. In Jesus, there is life. In Adam, there is damnation. In Jesus, there is salvation. In Adam, there is the grave. In Jesus, there is an empty grave. That everyone is either with Adam or with Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 15, 45 calls him the last Adam. So he picks up the battle in the wilderness where Adam left the battle being kicked out of paradise and left in the wilderness. And what we're gonna look at today, we're gonna to look at five weapons to defeat the demonic. I'm gonna cover a lot. It's all in the book, Spirit-Filled Jesus. You got a free copy, the chapter is in there. But we're gonna look at one, two, three, four, five things that you need for war. Number one, uh, the Holy Spirit. Here's the story of Jesus. We're gonna look at Jesus, battle, war, temptation. He is going to have conflict with the enemy and the adversary. And Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be spirit-filled? It means to be like Jesus. The Holy Spirit empowered the life of Jesus. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit so that you can live by his power. The Holy Spirit does not make you weird. He makes you like Jesus. And Jesus full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan. He was just baptized and was led by the Spirit. You need to be filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit if you wanna be like Jesus. He was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil himself. The devil sometimes will send demons. He's not all present and all powerful and all knowing like God. He visits Jesus. Satan doesn't visit you and I, but he will send demons. He has an entire army working with him. 
And he ate how much? Nothing. For how long? 40 days. How many of you, 40 minutes, you'd be like, I'm at the end. I'm at the, I'm, I'm hangry. I'm hangry. 40 days. And when they were ended, he was, he was hungry. A couple of things I want to tell you. Sometimes agony comes after glory. Sometimes we think as soon as I get through this hard season, as soon as I get to the other side, as soon as I get to the good times, then there will be momentum. No, then there will be opposition. In Luke chapter three, it says it here that he came from the Jordan. He was just baptized. This was his public unveiling. This is Jesus' moment of glory. God the Son is coming up out of the water. God the Father speaks from heaven. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove. The entire Trinity is present. It's a moment of glory. And then it's a moment of agony. Sometimes we're very vigilant. We're very aware when we're under difficult circumstances. And sometimes it's in the blessed season that the temptation really comes. Sometimes it's after you get married that the temptation comes, after you have the baby that the temptation comes, after you get the job that the temptation comes, after you get the promotion that the temptation comes, after the breakthrough that the temptation comes. It is not just glory forever. When God gives glory, Satan brings agony. Number two, to walk with God is sometimes to walk into war. Some of you have wrongly been taught that if life is hard, you must not be in the will of God. Jesus is going into war and he is absolutely filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit into war. Some people have told you, when you die, you go to heaven. That's true. In the meantime, you walk through a battlefield. It's a war to get to the kingdom. It says in the Bible, in Galatians, to keep in step with the Spirit. The language there is military language, like a platoon that is on a hike. That to walk with Jesus is to walk as a soldier, as part of an army toward a triumphant kingdom to ultimately enjoy the presence of the king. To walk with God is sometimes to walk into war. Number three, there has been a lot of false teaching about what it means to have a spirit-filled life. Question, is Jesus full of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Is he led by the Holy Spirit? Yes. Does he have prosperity or poverty? Poverty. Poverty. He's led by the Spirit into poverty. Does Jesus have trouble or tranquility? Trouble, not tranquility. What he's enduring, is it happiness or hardship? It's hardship. You need to know that sometimes being filled with the Spirit and being led by the Spirit means a life of poverty, trouble, and hardship. Now, when you get to heaven, it'll be different. Until you get to heaven, it might be like that. A spirit-filled life can include poverty or prosperity. A spirit-filled life can include trouble or tranquility. A spirit-filled life can include hardship or happiness. My next point then is, the key is to walk in the will of God, even if it's into a wilderness. 
some of you right now, it feels like a wilderness season. You're like, there are no resources. Things are not going well. I don't have signs of life and hope. God, where have I gone wrong? Maybe you have strayed, but here Jesus finds himself in the wilderness and he's in the will of God. Here's what I would tell you. I would be rather in God's will in a wilderness than out of God's will in a paradise. Because the key is to walk in God's will for your life. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus is doing here. And I want you to see this. Satan likes to hit us when we're hungry, isolated, and tired. Jesus here, it's hungry. He's hungry. That's, that's what it says. He was hungry. What this means is that he is at the limits of his humanity, right? He's had no food. He's probably dehydrated. He's exhausted. Isolated is when you are separated from others. How many of you, you find yourself in trouble? The temptation becomes more tempting when you're at the limits of your humanity. You're hungry, you're tired, you're thirsty, you're sick, you're injured, and or you're isolated. How many of you are parents and you got little kids, right? You know what this is like? Let's say uh, mom's working in the kitchen and all of a sudden she hasn't seen the kids in a while. If she doesn't hear them, what does she assume? They're doing evil. That's what she assumes, right? If I can't see them or hear them, they're probably up to something nefarious because they're isolated. This is why when you get a little bit older, you can go to your friend's house and your parents aren't around. You're more tempted to get into trouble. This is when you get a driver's license and you can leave your parents home and now you go wherever you want and nobody sees you. You're more tempted to get into trouble. This is why the college student who leaves their family and friends and gets to go off and reinvent themselves without that kind of relational accountability, sometimes their temptation is particularly tempting. This is even increased as you go into that young adult. Now you've got your own place. Maybe you've moved away from your parents. Nobody knows who you are. You're totally isolated. You could do whatever you want. Once you're married, this is when you're separated or you're on the road for business. Or you're staying at a hotel and you're no longer near your family. You're isolated. Satan will hit you when you're hungry. He'll hit you when you're isolated. And the key to isolation is remembering, here's the truth, you're never alone. The Holy Spirit goes with you. Jesus, he is alone, but he is not alone because he remembers that the Holy Spirit, the presence of God is with him. So you need to know that you're never alone, that the Holy Spirit goes in you and with you if you're a child of God. And he hits when we are tired, when we're just at the end. How many of you, some of the worst decisions you've ever made, you were tired. The worst things you've ever said, you were tired. The worst things you've ever done, you were tired. And here's what I need you to see, that Satan and demons do not share in the limits of our humanity. What I mean is this, you and I, because we are finite beings, we have limits, particularly because of the body that we dwell and we inhabit. I'll explain this to you. Uh, angels, angels it is spoken of in Revelation 4.8. Day and night, they never cease to say. So it's showing us heaven. It's showing us what's happening right now in the unseen realm in the presence of God. The angels surround the throne of God and day and night it says they sing, they worship, they cry out, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, day and night. Now in a little bit, we're gonna bring the band up and you're gonna sing, but not day and night. 
You can't worship 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Even the most Pentecostal among us eventually is like, I'm going to take a nap now. I can't do this anymore. Right? I've done this for as long as I can do it. Now I need to do this. Right? You reach the limits of your humanity. Angels do not. Do angels get sick? No. Do they get tired? No. Do they get dehydrated? No. Do they need to stop and have a bite to eat? No. It also says of the angels in Revelation 7.15, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night. You and I cannot serve day and night. That's why God gives us evening to sleep and he gives us a day of Sabbath. We can't worship all the time. We can't serve all the time. But here's what you need to know. The angels do. They don't share the limits of our humanity. Satan and demons, they're fallen angels. Here's what it says of Satan and demons in Revelation 12.10. Satan accuses them day and night. Satan is going to attack you every hour of every day, haunt you with every regret, condemn you for every failure. Make sure that the pounding and the shelling and the beating is constant. Some of you know exactly what that's like. You live a life of torment. You live a life of oppression. You live a life of condemnation. It's because he never gives up and he never gives in. And the goal of the demonic realm is always to push us to the very precipice and limits of our humanity. Jesus here is God, but he has chosen in this occasion to live a fully human life like you and I. He is at the limits of his humanity. How does Jesus defeat demonic temptation? How can you defeat demonic temptation? Anybody here tempted? You ever get tempted? Is it just me? We all struggle with something, amen? And what I don't want you to do is is judge what they're struggling with. Because you struggle with something that they don't struggle with and they struggle with something that you don't struggle with. So rather than judging one another, let's encourage one another. Rather than beating one another up, let's build one another up. And let's say we've all got our thing. Jesus here is going to be tempted and he is at the limits of his humanity. How can you as a finite being with limited energy defeat an, an enemy that has an inexhaustible source of energy? You need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, how many of you have got a car? How many of you have gassed up your car? What you do, you, 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 you fill up your car and then you use all of that energy and then you need to fill your car up again. Every child of God has the Holy Spirit. And when the Bible says we need to be filled with the Spirit, It means that we need to come back to God to be refueled with his energy. Here's what I know. Most people have a far greater plan to keep their phone powered, their laptop battery powered, and their car tank filled than they do their soul. I want you to take better care of your soul than your phone. Some of you say, I would never let my phone die, but you would let your soul become absolutely without the presence of God, drained of all spiritual life energy. Some of you keep a close attention to your fuel gauge or the power source on your laptop. 
And if I would ask you, so what's the energy level in your soul? You would say, I don't know. What is the plan to power your soul? I don't have one. When do you refill and refuel the most important part of you? I don't know. I don't have a plan. Then you are in trouble. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is very practical. This is reading the Word of God, getting into the Word of God, getting the Word of God into you. This is worshiping. This is joining with God's people. This is stirring one another up to love and good deeds. This is repenting of sin and anything that would hinder our relationship with God or others. It's inviting the presence of God. And and so it's not just going to church, it's going to war. And part of what happens when we worship is we are declaring not only the goodness of God, we're declaring it against principalities, powers, and spirits. That's why this job is such a hard job because I'm not just preaching to you. There are unseen forces at work in the room and in the world seeking to make people slaves and to discourage them and to bring them to the point of despondency and despair and even their own destruction. That the world is at war and that ultimately people are beat up and they're burned out and they're tired and they're frustrated and they're at the end and they can't handle it anymore and they can't can't do it anymore. They need the power of God. Because here's the good news. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. If you are going to go up against a a supernatural force that has an inexhaustible energy, you must tap into the power of the presence of God and live by the external supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And this is very practical. This is not necessarily highly mystical. This is, God, I'm struggling today. I'm tired today. I'm frustrated today. I'm tempted today. I'm exhausted today. I am at the end today. I need to meet with you right now. Before I do anything, say anything, I need to get plugged in to your presence and power. I need to remind myself that you are with me. I need to hear from your word. I need to pray and unburden. I need to surround myself with people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, before I take another step, I need to be filled and then I can be led. Do you see the pattern here? I didn't even think of it till right now. You gotta be full before you're led. Some of you, you're completely emptied your tank. Filled, led, filled, led, filled, led. God will give you the energy for the journey, but you gotta stop and meet with him. I'm reminded um, in John's gospel, Jesus says, even bad parents know how to give good gifts to their kids. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Father, right now, with this trouble, this trial, this temptation, I'm asking for the help of the helper. Weapon number two, um, your identity your identity. Um, The devil said to him, here's what you need to know. The devil talks to people. The devil talks to many of you. You didn't know this. You didn't know this. The devil said to him, if, it's it's interesting. Satan sometimes just poses a question, but it's the wrong question. 
Some people will say, well, I was just asking a question. No, what you were doing was demonic. You're trying to shift the conversation away from the truth. Okay? If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him. He quotes the Bible. It is written. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. When we're talking about identity, we're talking about what the culture would call your self-image or your self-esteem. I reject both, both of those because the Bible tells us not only who God is, but who we are. We don't know who we are apart from relationship with God. So my identity is not in reference to self. My identity is what the theologians call quorum Deo, living in the face of God. God, this is who you are. This is who I am. So your identity is crucial because when you know who you are, you know what to do. So let's start with Satan. Satan has an identity that is received from God and he rejects that. He is to be a servant of God, but he wants to be served like a God. He is to be a worshiper of God, but he wants to be worshiped like God. He is supposed to be dependent upon God, but he chooses to live independent of God. Some people have asked me, why does Satan keep fighting? Why does Satan keep battling if the Bible is clear that he loses? Here's why, I think. Not only is he a deceiver, he is self-deceived. I think he actually believes that he can rewrite the word of God and that he can conquer God and that ultimately his plan to be the great usurper of God's throne is something that is a possibility for him if he continues his war. Have you ever met someone that was not just deceived, but they were self-deceived? They'd actually convinced themselves of something that was absolutely not true. Satan did not receive the identity that God gave him. He tries to achieve. Your identity is obtained in one of two ways. It is received from God or it is achieved by you. If it is achieved by you, it is demonic. If it is received from God, then it is a gift to be enjoyed. What happens then is Satan does not accept the identity that God has for him. And then the battle comes down to the earth and he shows up to our first parents, Adam and Eve, and he attacks them at the point of identity. He comes to them and he says, well, what did God say? Well, God said to obey him and, and we can do all things. We're free, but there's one thing that we can't do. Partake of the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, um, and Satan says, you know what? You should partake because when you partake, you will become, who knows the story, like God. That's an identity. Well, just in Genesis 1, 26 and 28, just if you turn your Bible to the left, God said, let us make man in our image and likeness. God gave them a received identity. I make you in my likeness. Satan comes along and says, no, you can't have an identity that is received. It needs to be achieved. You need to do something to make yourself like God. And the problem ever since is every human being ultimately wants to be their own God. I'm independent, not dependent. I'm in authority, not under authority. I want to believe and behave how I want to believe and behave. And I want to judge myself and I don't surrender to the judgment of anyone, including the God of the Bible. It's all demonic. Satan does not accept the identity that God gives him. Adam and Eve choose 
to achieve an identity, which is deception, rather than live in the identity that they're already made in the likeness of God. Satan then brings the battle from Adam to Jesus and the identity issue is the issue. If you are the, for those of you that know the story, Luke 3, what just happened just prior to this, Jesus was baptized. What did God the Father say publicly? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You live from your identity, not for your identity. Jesus hadn't preached sermons yet. He hadn't performed miracles yet. He's gonna work from his identity as son, not for his identity. And Satan comes along and says, if you are the son of God. Well, if God the Father tells you who you are, you just believe that. So let me tell you something. The battle for your identity is very real. It is very real. And Satan is still talking to people. How about this? Let me, can I just tell you who you are? Just from my heart. This isn't in the notes. You are loved. Satan will say, no, you're not. You are forgiven. Satan will say, no, you're not. You can change. Satan will say, no, you can't. God would say, I've prepared a place for you. Satan would say, you're not going to end up there. God would say, there is, there is hope for you because of, of Christ for you and the Spirit in you. Satan would say, there's no hope for you. The devil has been talking to some of you. And here's a clue. If you, how many of you hear that word a lot? You, 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 fill in the blank. You are a failure. You are not changed. You're not a real Christian. You are a disgrace. You are shameful. You are an embarrassment. You are hopeless. You should just kill yourself and do us all a favor. People hear these things. Sometimes they think that they have self-contempt. Gosh, why do I hate myself? You may not. You may have an invisible person that is stalking you and harassing you and because they're invisible you don't understand their presence if it was a physical person walking around saying these things to you you would command them away and you would know the truth but because they're invisible you think that maybe it's you if it's the second person it's not you if you're if it's I that's negative self-talk if it's you that's demonic accusation and opposition Revelation 12.10, Satan is the accuser of the children of God. He accuses them day and night. Some of you hear stuff all the time. You, you, you. Some of you are very tender conscience. You love the Lord. And when you hear things like that, you think that the Lord is punishing you. Lord, why would you say that to me? I, I met with somebody recently. They said, the Lord told me that he hates me and he doesn't love me and he won't forgive me. I said, really? I said, what did you hear? They said, you're not loved, you're not forgiven. 
I said, that's not the Lord. That's not the Lord. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. That's another voice, right? That's another voice. I would never say that to my children. God is a father. He would never say that to his children. God gave me an image in the first service. Um, I want to be careful with this. Um, sometimes I, I can see um, I see some of you and when you were a kid, your parents said some horrible things to you. It was very shaming. It was identity forming. You are a disgrace. You are an embarrassment. You are a failure. You did it again. You always fail. You never get it right. Some of you, this has been a person in your life that speaks death. It's a curse. And Satan wants you not only to believe that lie, he wants you to be bitter against that person. And that gives the devil a double foothold. So I want you to forgive that person. And I want you to realize that our war is not against flesh and blood, people, but powers, principalities, and spirits. And I want you to see that behind some of the attack on your identity is demonic forces. Um, God brought this to mind as I was praying for you this morning. There's an account in the gospel where Jesus looks at Peter because Peter had just said something. And Jesus says to Peter, if you know the line, get behind me. Satan. Is Peter Satan? No, but what he's doing in that moment, he's echoing the words of the demonic. Sometimes people echo the devil. Okay? We need to forgive them and we need to receive the truth because Jesus says the truth will set you free. Some of you, this is generational. Some of you, you're great-grandparents said this to their kids and then they said this to their kids and then they said this to their kids and then they said this to their kids and it's just cursing and it is death and it is demonic from generation to generation. And some of you will catch yourself saying things. You're like, I don't even know why I say that. Well, the devil told you that. Don't echo him. Rebuke him or let the Lord rebuke him. Here's the key. God wants you to be free as his child, knowing his love, his affection, his forgiveness, so that you can live in relationship with him. But here's what I need you to know as well. Satan wants your identity to be in relationship with him because not only does God want a personal relationship with you, so does the devil. Back to the story. Jesus is hungry. Satan says, make some bread. What do we do with friends? We break bread. 
That's what we do. We eat together. That's how you know who your friends are. Come on over to our house. We'll have dinner together. Is it a sin for Jesus to make bread? Yes or no? No. Jesus comes from Bethlehem. It's the house of bread. Jesus tells us, I am the bread of life. In the Old Testament, every day, God made bread and gave it to his people. God is pro-bread, amen? I like bread. Jesus is hungry. If I was hungry, I would eat bread with honey butter, with honey butter. It's not in the Bible, but something to pray about. I would eat warm, hot bread with honey butter, okay? Amen, all right, thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Sometimes we think of sin as rebellion. We also need to think of sin as relationship. It's not a sin for Jesus to make bread. It is a Satan for him. It is a sin for him to have a relationship with the devil, a friendship. Some of you shouldn't be dating that person. You say, well, we haven't done anything wrong. The relationship is wrong. Some of you should not be in business with that person. Some of you should not entrust yourself and your family to that person. What Satan wants is a personal relationship with you. The answer is no. The answer is no. Weapon number three, godly perspective. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Imagine this. Everything. You know what? We're all just driven by covetousness. I wish I could drive that car. I wish I could live in that house. I wish I could have that job. I wish I could have that power. I wish I could have that spouse. I wish I could have that sex life. I wish I could have that resume. I wish I could have that grade point average. In an instant, Satan shows Jesus every temptation of every person in all of human history. We don't even have a category for this. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. This is instant. How many of you have had this? You're like, I'm just living my life and boom, I am hit with a temptation and it's like a torpedo from the pit. I didn't see it coming. It was strong and intense and it hit all at once. And it was incredible how difficult that was. Well, you've been ambushed. And said to him, to you, I will give all this authority in their glory for it has been given to me. Satan rules the world. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Governments, nations, entertainment, industries, behind it all is the demonic. He will bless, I use that in quotes, people. Sometimes people say, well, it must be God's will. Here's what I got. No, Satan also answers prayer. Satan also grants desires. Satan also feeds the flesh. I'll give it all to you for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If then, there's, there's always, if then, you will worship me, it'll all be yours. Jesus is given two options. Everything but a relationship with God nothing in a relationship with God. How many of you truly, you would trade your relationship with God 
for something or someone. Happens all the time. Satan and the Father are offering Jesus the same seat. Satan says, I'm a king with a kingdom. You can sit at my side and I'll give you all of the pleasures of the kingdom. One thing, just make me the center of your life. Glorify me, worship me, have me be your highest authority. God the Father is also a king, rules over a kingdom. It says, Jesus, you could sit at my side. Jesus is giving an offer. He's given an offer rather from two kings and two kingdoms. You could sit at the side of Satan. You could sit at the side of the father. Question, which path is easier? This is a path of pleasure. This is a path of pain. Jesus, to sit at the right hand of the father, you're going to need to be betrayed by a friend, shamed, arrested, flogged, beaten, murdered, crucified, experience the wrath of God. You get to travel the path of pain and then be seated at the side of the king. Or you can travel the path of pleasure. Money is not a problem. Food is not a problem. Drugs is not a problem. Alcohol is not a problem. Sex is not a problem. Luxury is not a problem. Comfort is not a problem. Oftentimes, it comes down to choosing the path of pain over the path of pleasure to walk in the will of God. How many of you, this is your struggle? To walk in the will of God is going to be painful. To walk away from the will of God is going to be pleasurable. Let me tell you, that's a demonic lie. Because the sinning Christian is a miserable person. Some of you have already walked the pleasure path. Satan said, I'll give you this if you just walk away from Jesus and walk with me, I'll give you this. Satan gave it to you and you realized that it made you sick. That if you are a Christian, what you used to love, you now hate. What you used to enjoy, you now despise. That God changes your desires and so even if you take the pleasure path, eventually you realize it is a path of misery and death because Satan is a liar. Some of you are there. Some of you have real temptation in your life. And you're, some of you are in a difficult place. And I wanna share this scripture with you because faith comes by hearing the word of God. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. Anybody feeling weak? Jesus, I'm struggling. This is tough for me. I, I feel like gravity is pulling me toward rebellion. I, I'm, I'm, I'm weak. He was in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in the time of need. If you are tempted, if you are troubled, if you are tired, you go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm there. And Jesus would say, I, I understand.
what you are tempted by is a battle that I have fought and it's a victory that I have accomplished. And, and I have grace and mercy and help in time of need. And if you have need, I am here to help. And let me tell you this, he helps by sending the helper. The Holy Spirit not only helped Jesus, he helps you. You need to know that when you are there, and some of you are there, Jesus meets you there because Jesus has been there. And Jesus who got through there will get you through there. Okay? Number four, Scripture. Luke 4, 8 through 11. Jesus answered him, it is written. Friends, we are to be God's messengers, not God's editors. There is constantly a war against the word of God, constantly. You need to know this behind my experience, 20 plus years as a senior pastor preaching through dozens of books of the Bible, almost everyone who is trying to reduce the authority of God's word, it is because there is a rebellion in their lifestyle. Most problems are not theological, they are moral. And when the word of God says that is wrong and needs to change, we say, actually, that is wrong and needs to change. The question is, will you change the word of God or allow the word of God to change you? It's always an issue ultimately of authority. And when we fight demonic principalities, powers and spirits, we have to fight with the truth of God's word. This is where so much spiritual warfare teaching is not helpful because it causes you to be proud rather than humble and to speak rather than to let God speak. What Jesus does, he quotes the word of God, okay? It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So then Satan took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem. Not, not only will you get all of the pleasures of the world, you'll also get to rule over a religious kingdom. It set him on the pinnacle of the temple. It said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he misquotes the Psalms. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Couple of things. Number one, you can know the Bible and not know the Lord. Satan knows the Bible. He does not love the Lord. I'll never forget, Grace and I were in college. We had a, a brilliant, high, big personality professor, had an amazing ability to lecture, and he would just quote scripture often in lectures at a state university. Whole pages of the Bible from memory. I thought, for, I'm a new Christian. I, I thought, for sure, I finally got a Christian prof at the university. State, like, it's like a unicorn. I've heard about these, but I didn't think they were real. A Christian professor at a state university. So I go up to him. I said, well, are you a Christian? He's like, no. I said, you know so much Bible. I said, why do you know the Bible? He said, my brother's a pastor and a missionary, and I like to make fun of him and mock him and argue with him because I'm smarter than him. So I memorized the Bible so that I can frustrate my brother. You can know the Bible and not know the Lord. Some of you that, okay, let me just, let me pick on you, okay? How many of you come from Bible backgrounds? Gotta be careful because knowledge puffs up. It's demonic. 
Love builds up. Spiritual. Some of you have been taught to study the word of God in such a way that you're biblical, but you're not relational. You're not biblical unless you're relational. The point of the Bible is to love God and love people. Right? Satan here knows the Bible, but he doesn't love the Lord. Now, some of you are twitching. You're like, but Pastor Mark, we need the Bible. I know. I'm holding one. I'm yelling. I I agree. Okay, I agree. But here's the point. You cannot know God apart from the Bible, but you can know the Bible and not know God. So the point of studying the Bible is your relationship with God and then ultimately your relationship with others. Let me say it this way. You're not biblical unless you're relational. Number two, the Bible is a weapon. Ephesians and Hebrews says it's a sword. Satan comes, does Satan know the Bible? Yes. He quotes it. He misquotes it, but he quotes it. And so, you know, if this is a weapon, the key is to know how to use your weapon, right? How many of you were in the military, right? First thing they do, they hand you a weapon. They're like, this is your weapon. Secure your weapon, clean your weapon, get familiar with your weapon, learn how to use your weapon, and don't let your enemy take your weapon. This is a weapon. This is a weapon that will either slay your enemy or your enemy will use to slay you. And so Satan is misquoting the scripture. He says from the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 92, um, you know, if you throw yourself off the temple, angels will capture you. Only if that is what God has asked of you. God has not asked Jesus to do that. If you're doing something that is outside of the will of God, he is not going to bless it. Because we're not supposed to test God, we are to trust God. So Jesus says it is written. He quotes from Deuteronomy repeatedly. How many of us, if Satan shows up and we're like, okay, I got, I got to quote Deuteronomy. We're in trouble. We're in like, ser-. some of you are like, who's Deuteronomy? Like, where is he? You know, like even obscure parts of the Bible are significant and important. And here's the deal. You're learning the Bible today for your war tomorrow. Right, the reason, some of you say, I don't know why I need to learn all of this. I don't need it. You will. So you, you learn today for your war tomorrow. And here's what I want you to know. Jesus combats demonic temptation with biblical meditation. This is the pattern, right? Truth dispels lies, light dispels darkness. Satan comes, misquotes the word of God. Jesus rightly quotes the word of God. Let me... Let me read to you how Paul says it in Colossians 2.8. See to it. What he's saying is pay attention, stay focused. Right? It's not, it's not peacetime, it's wartime. See to it that no one takes you captive. See, any thought that you don't take captive to Christ will take you captive. The, the battle starts in the mind. That's why the Bible says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. Hear this. 
according to the elemental or demonic spirits of the world, not according to Christ. In every generation, there is philosophy, there is conjecture, there is popular ideology that says something that is contrary to the word of God. And we just say, well, it's fashionable, it's trendy, it's innovative, it's creative. What he says is behind that are elemental or demonic spirits. Satan understands marketing. Satan understands entertainment. Satan understands the university system. Satan understands the political system. Satan understands the governmental system. You need to know that this world and its wisdom does not know God. You need to know that this world has lost its mind. And what is celebrated and tolerated should be repented of. That this world is not thinking the thoughts of God. It is not living in accordance with the word of God. And some of you would say, well, that's just how we do it. That's just, that's what I learned. That's, that's what the majority thinks. It's demonic. It's demonic. It's demonic. And sometimes people will misquote the word of God. Married couple, well, you know, I'm gonna commit adultery because God just wants me to be happy. That's demonic. Well, yeah, we're living together as single people, but you know, we're married in God's eyes. No, I've seen his eyes, they're not blinking, they're dark red. You're not married in his eyes. That's his daughter. Why are you sleeping with his daughter? Dad's not excited about that. Well, if it's two consenting adults, who are we to judge? Well, how about God judges? Well, God is love. And what that means is we do whatever we want. Oh, so you misquoted a verse. Congratulations, you're demonic. Right? It's craziness. It's craziness. It's demonic. It's demonic. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ. The language there is in a war, you'd come across an enemy combatant and you'd want to interrogate them. So you would literally put a sword under their throat and you would walk them to the highest commanding officer to interrogate them and to get the truth out of them. What, what the Bible is encouraging and what Jesus is modeling, when we hear something, the first thing we say is, how does that line up with the word of God? Let me get the word of God. Let me get the sword of the spirit of the scriptures under the throat of this concept and take it to Jesus, my highest general, and say, Jesus, is this true or false, right or wrong? Any thought that you don't take captive will take you captive. You need the word of God. Without the word of God, you are captive to demonic deception. Number five, the fifth weapon is faith to test. Faith to trust, rather, in the midst of the test. Jesus answered him, it is said, he's gonna quote the Bible again. 
you shall not put the Lord your God to the test because we're to trust God, not test God. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. How many of you, you've obeyed the Bible. It says, stand firm. You've stood, you're like, I'm not gonna do that. I've done that in the past. I will not betray my Lord. I will not yield, submit, or surrender. And eventually the enemy leaves. And you're like, finally, I've got reprieve. And then later he shows up again. He's always looking for an opportunity to destroy. Okay? And so it's, it's war and war and war. A couple of things I want to point out. Who gets the last word? Jesus does by quoting the word of God. Can I tell you this? The key is to just let the word of God have the last word. Some of you, your relationships fall into demonic patterns because each of you wants to have the last word. So let's talk about your marriage since we're all here. Uh, How many of you, how many of you when you're arguing, it's this war over who gets the last word? You're like, no. Blah, 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 I get the last word. And they're like, no, 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 blah, blah, blah. I get the last word. Well, I'm getting in the car and leaving. Well, I'm texting you the last word. I get the last word. The key is let the word of God always have the last word. So you know what? Let's just let the word of God have the last word. It says to forgive one another, so... God gets the last word. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? God gets the last word. And what happens here, Jesus is tempted, tested, troubled, and tried. You will be there, some of you are there. Here's the key. This is gonna sound, this is gonna sound complicated we win by surrendering. This is where the answer to demonic temptation is humility, not pride. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. When you are tempted, remember what Jesus did. He surrendered but he surrendered to God, not Satan. You need to know that everybody surrenders. You either surrender to God or you surrender to Satan. When temptation comes, you either surrender to God or surrender to temptation, which is ultimately to surrender to the demonic. In surrendering to God, Jesus is really allowing the battle to be between Satan and God. And he understands that his battle is certainly a part of it in the middle. Let me say it this way. If Satan is tempting you and you surrender to God and you don't surrender to Satan, then you leave God to do the fighting for you. And some of you, you're proud. So when you're tempted, you're like, I want to fight. You need to surrender, literally. 
okay, God, right now, I surrender. I surrender to you, not to the temptation. I surrender to you, not the enemy. God, I want to be filled with your spirit. I want to walk in the ways of Jesus. I want to obey you. I surrender to you. And God, this enemy is actually your enemy. And this war is actually your war. And so I am surrendering to you and I'm asking you to deal with my enemy. And what does the devil do once the Lord Jesus, he surrenders, he surrenders to the will of the Father. What does the devil do? He leaves. He leaves. He leaves. Some of you have believed a horrendous lie and that is that the demonic temptation and oppression will not leave until you sin. No, that's surrendering to Satan. In surrendering to God, you're standing firm, holding your authority given to you through the Lord Jesus and eventually the devil has to depart. Here's how Jesus' brother James says it. James is Jesus' brother, he's a pastor, looking back on this occasion, he says in James 4, 7, Submit or surrender yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He'll flee from you. When the temptation comes, you need to understand it is a demonic attack and assault. It is intense and furious. And your flesh cries out for some kind of relief. And you think, if I would just surrender to that, then I would be satisfied. No, you surrender to God and eventually that temptation lifts because that demonic presence cannot dwell forever in the presence of God. Light dispels darkness. God dispels demonic. The devil leaves. Some of you have had this experience. Christians will call it deliverance. They're like, I was addicted and then I was delivered. Once I submitted to God and was surrendered to the spirit, eventually the temptation left and I walked in freedom for the first time. This is a rough sermon. I mean, my head's a little foggy, I love you. I just want you free. That's all. I just want you unburdened. I want you hopeful. I want you joyful. I, I want you moving forward. And, and his name is Jesus. Okay. So let me share maybe the last one. I don't know. Um, and that is that we begin and end our war with the Spirit. Luke chapter four, verse one, and Luke chapter four, verse 14. These are the bookends, right? We've just gone through the word of God, right? Beginning and end, bookends for the story, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Some of you are in a wilderness right now, but if you're in the will of God, he'll get you through the wilderness. At the end, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit brings Power to the people of God to walk in the character of Christ. Report about him went out through all the surrounding country. He taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. Couple of things in conclusion. Number one, temptation is not a sin. Some of you automatically assume, wrongly assume, if you're tempted, 
you failed. Question, did Jesus ever sin? No. Was Jesus ever tempted? Yes. Ergo, temptation and sin are not the same. Some of you need to understand that there has already been battles won and victories had in your life. I was talking to a guy recently and he was really tempted to stray from his marriage. I said, well, what did you do? I called my wife. I told her, man, I'm struggling with some temptation. We need to pray together and, and we need to work this out and we need to get in a healthy place. I said, did you do anything? He said, I didn't. And he said, I feel so terrible that I was tempted. I feel so bad that I was struggling. I was like, yay, that was a win. That was a victory. That was, that was putting Satan under your foot. You were tempted, but you didn't do anything. You surrendered to God. You went home to your wife. You didn't surrender to the enemy and walk away from your covenant. Some of you have wrongly believed that just because you're tempted, the battle's already over, so you may as well yield and give in. No, that's when you stand firm. Number two, Satan's temptation to get you is God's test to graduate. Not to nerd out too much, but in the original Greek, this word for temptation and test, it's the same word. So in some of your translations, it says test. Others, it says temptation. It's two sides of the same coin. Hardship comes, trouble comes, trial comes, temptation comes. Satan wants it to be a temptation. Give in, surrender, sin, rebel, harm your relationship with God. Forget who you are as a child of God. God says, no, this is a test that you can take and pass. And once you pass, you graduate. That's how school works, right? Take a test, pass and graduate. What happens is Jesus has his test. He passes it. He then graduates to a new level of maturity and ministry. He has to pass his test before he begins his ministry. You need to pass your test to get to the next level of maturity and ministry. So when a temptation comes, you know, I mean, it, it is so weird when the Bible says, count it all joy and things like that. You're like, this is crazy. It's a hard time. No, it's an opportunity to mature and graduate. It's an opportunity to mature and graduate. Some of you have been in fourth grade for 17 years. You keep taking the test. You're like, I failed the test again. 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 Well, let me tell you a couple of things. Number one, Jesus took your test. Number two, Jesus passed your test. Number three, Jesus gives you his report card. Number four, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit so that you can live by his power and you can pass your test. Number five, Jesus lets you retake your test. Some of you are like, man, I took the test, I failed, I surrendered to Satan, not to God. And then I took the test again and I surrendered to Satan and not to God. And then I took the test again and I surrendered to Satan, not to God. I keep failing this test. Jesus lets you retake your test. Jesus is so amazing, he'll let you keep retaking your test. And he sends the Holy Spirit to help you to pass your temptation test. He who is in you 
Faith comes by hearing the word of God. He who is in you, I'm calling forth the power of the Holy Spirit in you. He who is in you, he who is in you is greater, is greater, is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater. He is greater. He is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You, my dear friends, you worship your way into trouble. You worship your way out. When you worship food, when you worship sex, when you worship comfort, when you worship drugs, when you worship money, when you worship power, when you worship self, you worship yourself into trouble. You worship your way out. Satan comes to Jesus and says, worship me. Satan says, no, worship the Lord only. So what we're going to do now, we're going to worship. You're going to worship. And you are going to participate in the unseen realm. You are going to do what you were made to do. You are going to do what the angels were made to do. So this is our transition. We'll collect our tithes and offerings. It's part of our worship. We're going to partake of communion, which is remembering the broken body, shed blood of Jesus. Not only did he take our test and passed our test, he also paid the price so that we could be forgiven and retake our test. And he sends the Holy Spirit to help us pass that test. And so if you become a Christian or you are a Christian, I want you to partake of communion to remember, to celebrate the work of Jesus. And then lastly, we're going to sing. Some of you, you you say, man, I come to church, but nothing changes. Nothing changes until you worship, right? Do not merely hear the word of God and deceive yourself. Do what it says. This is an opportunity for you to have a divine meeting with God. This is a time for you to invite the Holy Spirit to be greater in you than the temptation that surrounds you. This is an opportunity for you to get rid of the condemnation and the shame and the accusation, to say no to all of the second person demonic identity cursing statements that you've embraced. This is a time for you to enjoy the presence of God, to live as the children of God. I know today you thought you were going to church, but friends, we're going to war. And when the Lord Jesus came and he quoted Isaiah 61, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to set captives free. You belong to God. You do not belong to Satan. You are free. You are not slaves. You are children of God. You are not orphans. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please join us at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can also watch Pastor Mark live on Sundays. 
YouTube, Facebook, the app, or at markdriscoll.org. And as Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus.